this morning we're going to talk about prayer. Do I have my little thing? Oh, there it is. We're going to talk about prayer. And uh, prayer is, uh, is tough for me. If you can't read it, it says Jesus and his prayers. Prayer is tough for me. Um, I don't know. It, I think when I was little, I, I got the wrong idea about prayer. I, I, I just, I didn't take it seriously. And, and so then when I, when I grew up and, and uh, I started to have a faith that was more mature and I read the scriptures and I, I heard God say, like, kind of hard, the prophets say hard things about prayer. Like, you know, if you're not living in righteousness, uh, your prayers to me are like a clanging symbol and, and things like this. I, I kind of got shocked out of prayer. And uh, it's, hard, it's hard for a lot of reasons. It, has anyone here, you don't have to raise your hand, but has anyone here, you could like maybe not, ever struggled to pray? Like it's, it's hard. And it's not hard physically, although sometimes it can feel that way. It's hard because there's just a lot of interference that we bring to the table. And, and my interference is, is really pretty simple. I feel like prayer is pretentious, Okay. I'm just, I'm not, this is my humanness, okay? This is not what I found in the Bible. I, I feel like prayer is pretentious. And it goes something like this. This is the, the best example I know of is a, a sitcom. Uh, it came out a little while ago. It's like just recently ended. It's about these like uh, super nerdy guys who, who live in this building. And they're all like uh, PhD physicists. And, and then there's this like one beautiful neighbor who's like kind of hapless. And, and she, she doesn't know any physics. She doesn't know any science. Um, she's a waitress, and they all work at Caltech, and, and, and it's like this, uh, the, the, their interactions, and uh, it's called the Big Bang Theory. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, did you pick it up already? Maybe not. Maybe my description was bad, but you've seen the show. Um, in, in the Big Bang Theory, there's, in the 11th season, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm a physics nerd, so um, I, I really like the, uh, the, the idea of string theory. It's, it's like interesting to me. In fact, for the last uh, nine hours on audiobook, I've been listening to a book called The Complete Idiot's Guide of String Theory. It's really interesting to me. So I was searching string theory on the internet a couple weeks ago, and uh, this clip came up. And it was like, oh man, this is the perfect clip. I'm not going to show it. But basically, Penny, who knows absolutely nothing about physics, who knows absolutely nothing about um, any sort of uh, physical laws of the universe, uh, asks Sheldon, who's the most socially awkward, but the smartest of the physicists, to explain string theory, which is what he's been working on. And so Sheldon does it, he kind of gives out this thing, and he shows it's proof, and oh, it's whatever, and it's a theory, it's not provable, and, and so, so, so she's like, okay, so do we solve it? After he teaches her, he goes, she goes, do we solve it? He says, no, people have been working on this for decades. We didn't solve it. And she said, I mean, how hard can it be? A string, you like tie it in a knot, right? And he goes, well, you can't have knots past the fourth dimension. She says, why not? And he goes, wait, unless you consider them as sheets. Now, at this point, unless you understand anything about string theory, this is all irrelevant to you. But, the, but Penny, who knows nothing about string theory, hears Sheldon come to a semi-eureka moment, maybe something he hasn't thought of yet. And so she walks back through the apartment, and she oh, yeah, I've been solving string theory with Sheldon. Well, this isn't true at all, right? Sheldon didn't solve string theory. But Penny has the audacity to approach Sheldon, one of the world's most foremost physicists, according to the show, and 
explain to him and everyone else that she's taught him something that he hadn't thought of before. Turns out she was the key, the missing link the whole time. And of course, it, like, you know, hilarity ensues. It's kind of a, a limited gag. It's only like a minute and a half long. But the, the audacity that Penny has is really something that feels a lot like how I feel when I pray. Because prayers, at least in my experience, so often have been how we ask for things. That's what prayer is. It's why you, in the movie Bruce Almighty, he, he can reply yes to all of the prayers because all of them are questions. They're asking for something. When in reality, this, this isn't, most prayers are not necessarily asking for anything. But when you think about the audacity that a human being would have to ask the eternal creator and sustainer of the universe for something, it goes something like this. Hey, God, um, so you have not given me this thing, whatever it is, uh, I think that you made a mistake. I think you screwed up because I should have the thing that I don't have. So uh, rethink about it and get back to me. It's very audacious. And so I can't really wrap my mind around the story that Adelaide just read for us because Jesus names the audacity of praying. And then he says, do it anyway. I just really find myself scratching my head. Like, I don't have anything to say to God that God doesn't already know. But yet, Jesus says, be like the guy who shows up in the middle of the night asking for food. Those of you who remember your early 20s, this is not an unaccessible metaphor. The audacity of a friend to knock on somebody's door, especially someone with children, which is what's implied, Hey, can I get some food? I'm hungry out here, right? So that's really, and, and, and Jesus says, that's how you should pray. Boy, well, I'm, I'm left with basically one underlying premise. Prayer must not be for God. It must be for us. Because nobody wants to wake up in the middle of the night and answer the door for your perhaps intoxicated friend who needs some bread. And so Jesus says, pray anyway, because it's not about God, it's about you. So I found myself asking, all right, well, if prayer is about us, how can I look at Scripture, look at the world? This is how I try and interpret Scripture. I, I, I go to Scripture, I say, okay, Jesus says this. It doesn't make sense to me. So I'm going to use the rest of Scripture, and I'm going to use my knowledge in the world, of the world, and then I'm going to use my experience and all of these things together. I'm going to try and figure out why Jesus said this. So if I say, okay, prayer must not be for God. It must be for us. I came up with three reasons why a person might pray. Three reasons why a person might pray and I want to uh, note here, none of these is particularly supernatural. So I didn't include on the list, pray because God listens and will answer your prayers. That might be true, but that's not exactly what I think this story is telling us. I don't think that this story is telling us that we should, that, this, that no, there are examples of miraculous healing or getting provision right at the right time or 
you know, some natural disaster causing uh, some sort of miraculous thing to happen and people were saved. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen in the Bible. I'm saying I don't think that this is what Jesus is talking about when he talks about praying constantly. He's talking about persistence of prayer in spite of, in spite of our own audacity or in spite of our own impatience. So here are my three things. The first one is that prayer reorients us. Let me tell you, it's really important for human beings, especially Western Hemisphere human beings, I guess Northwestern Hemisphere human beings, to be reoriented. We tend in the West to have a very I-centric worldview. You ever told a kid you act like the universe revolves around you? It's like the earth revolves around you? This is actually the natural proclivity for most Western thinkers. And prayer reorients us. Because when you go to God in prayer, you're forced to think about who you're praying to. The grandness of God. The power, the majesty, the timelessness, the absolute awesomeness of God. And then you're forced to tell your problems or your complaints or whatever to that being. And just that action of considering who you pray to is reorienting. How many people think that humans are big? No, we think we're pretty small, right? We're like small. Okay, how many people think that humans are bigger than bacteria? Oh, yeah, obviously, we're bigger than bacteria. In fact, there's more bacteria in your uh, uh, fingertip. I'll give you that one. There's more bacteria in your fingertip than there are humans that have ever lived on planet Earth. Pretty big compared to bacteria. Bacteria is way bigger than, than atoms. Oh, man, there are so many atoms in every molecule of bacteria. I mean, like, so much. So many atoms in bacteria. Oh, and subatomic particles in the atom. Oh, man, we're huge. Ah, but then you consider, like, ah, oh, man, we're, like, on this. We're, like, in Chicago. There's, like, several million of us here. Okay, we're pretty small. Chicago is only one city in the United States. Okay, we're, like, really small. Okay, the United States is only one country in the whole world. Okay, we're really small. Um, you know, the Earth is one planet. Billions. Billions of galaxies. Oh, like, we're tiny. So we're either huge in comparison, but the, what you need to understand here is that where I'm going is you have to understand that your orientation depends on what you're comparing it to. You're huge in comparison to bacteria. You're tiny in comparison to galaxies, but... In comparison to God, you're even smaller than that because God created all of it. So just that simple action, going to God in prayer, reorients us. And it's really good for our psychology to be reoriented, to put our problems in perspective. Second thing, prayer relinquishes us. This is a misuse of verbiage, but I really like when pastors do that thing where they're like, prayer, our word, us right? The third one's going to be an R word, us. Uh, so prayer relinquishes us. Really what I'm trying to say here is that we, allow, we are allowed in prayer to re relinquish our hold on things, which you might think is not that important. But I can tell you, like from just my experience 
in chaplaincy. Anecdotally, relinquishing control is one of the most essential things to do when you're in dire situations. Relinquishing control is actually an essential part of the human experience. And prayer offers us a way of doing that. People who are at the end of life or, or are facing some circumstance that they, that they can't control, because here's the truth, you can't control any of your circumstances, you just think that you can. Um, so we get in this habit of being like, oh, we can control everything going on with our life. We can't. Just like your breath, like your heart beats by itself, like if it stopped, you'd be done, right? We have no control over everything and over anything, really. And so when we get to places where we actually are faced with that reality, it's such a mind shift for us that without prayer, without being able to give that up to something else, we almost inevitably lose our minds. Break down in catastrophic ways. And people who have historically been disenfranchised, they actually get this much better than those of us who are traditionally in majority-dominant culture. People in majority-dominant culture, we have a really hard time acknowledging the fact that our circumstances are out of our control. But until we understand that, as soon as one of those circumstances, which is clearly and evidently out of our control, happens, man, it breaks us. And I saw people in chaplaincy who refused to give up control just, just lose it. And then I saw other people who, even though their circumstances were so horrible, so terrible, 40-year-olds debilitating terminal cancer, 30-year-olds just lost their brother, or oh, I'm sorry, a 20-year-old just lost his 21-year-old sister to an overdose outside of his control. Till I saw that, and saw how the giving up of control completely changed the circumstances, I didn't understand how important it was. But it's massively important. And here's another like, just fun thing. Everybody prays in the hospital. Like people would check in and they'd be like, I'm an atheist. Pray. They would pray. Because at some point you can do nothing else. It's because God made us as beings who need reorientation, one, and to be able to relinquish control of our circumstances, two. And third, and this is a little bit heady, prayer remakes us, remakes us. It literally changes not only our brain chemistry, but our brain anatomy. And say that again, praying, praying doesn't only change our brain chemistry, it changes our brain anatomy. God literally made us as creatures who even though we seem to kind of hit a cap on growth at like 25, like we don't get taller, our feet usually stay the same size, our brains are constantly changing and developing and shifting based on our circumstances. And, and one of these ways is through something called gray matter, and I'm not going to go into all that, but the idea is basically gray matter helps you balance out your brain. Okay? And people who don't pray, who don't have any sort of mindfulness practices, who don't have, or, or even they pray, but they don't pray diligently and persistently and constantly and, and as an, an actual function, like working out, people who don't do that have less gray matter, they have a more unbalanced brain. 
And so when hard things happen to them, even small hard things, they fly off and they have, un- they have an inability to, 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 to reason well uh, oftentimes. But people who do mindfulness practices, people who do pray on a daily basis for a period of time that they've carved out, they, just, they did studies, people who have done this for 50 years consistently versus people who have not. Those people's brains were able to handle information so much better, make decisions so much better. And so prayer literally it reorients us to our place in the universe, which depends on who you're comparing it to, but compared to God, pretty small. Second, it, relinquish, it allows us to relinquish our control. And third, it literally remakes our brains. Mindfulness. And, and, and early Christians knew this. This is why we've lost it since the Reformation. But early Christians, they were all about this. They'd go off in the desert and do this for hours and hours and hours and days and weeks and months and die that way. Jesus himself goes out all the time. He leaves for ever, almost every morning, it seems like. Anytime Jesus is mentioned before dawn, he's always praying somewhere. Because people understand, they understood back then, when they understood their bodies actually maybe better than we understand our bodies today, they understood that without prayer, their whole world would be chaos. Or at least on the brink of chaos. So Jesus gives us this prayer, and I just want to look at the prayer. And I'll conclude here. Jesus says, Father, hallowed be your name. In other words, God, you are holy, and we are not. Reorientation. Who am I praying to? I'm praying to a holy father. Second, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. I love that it's a little bit different than the Matthew version, so it, you're like, you kind of have to read every word. Lord, for the things that are out of our control, like your kingdom coming, the end of violence and oppression, of racism, sexism, classism, all the isms, for those things, God, we know that you're in control and we're not relinquishing our control. Give us each day our daily bread. Yeah, folks, like, if like 10 to 15 people died in your life, like, you might not have enough food to eat. Like, understand it. People back then, they, get, they got this. We don't understand what hunger is. But it's a reality for so many in this world, and it could be a reality for us. Relinquishing control. Third, forgive us our sins, uh, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. It's kind of a bold claim. Jesus, I think, a little tongue-in-cheek, like, you better be praying this. Okay, and do not bring us into a time of trial. And that's that last line I think is even better. I mean, forgiveness, we could talk about forgiveness either as any of these things, reorientation, relinquishing, or uh, remaking. But really, this last one, don't bring us into a time of trial. Lord, here's the thing. Jesus says, actually, trials come. This is kind of one of those oxymorons in the Bible where it's like, trials come, but pray that you'll be able to deal with them well. In other words, pray so that your brain is good at making decisions. I can't make this stuff up. Jesus literally shapes for us a theology of prayer which says, of course, it's about God, 
but it's just as much, if not more, about you. And so be audacious in your prayers. Keep knocking even when it doesn't seem like you ought to. Keep knocking even when it doesn't feel like you should. Keep knocking even if sometimes, and this is a natural part of the human experience for every single person, and if you deny that it is, um, I don't know, let's have a talk. Even when you don't know if you're praying to anyone, even in those moments when, you, when you're forced into the doubt of what if this is all a sham, still pray. Because that's what, that's what faith is. It's praying when you don't know. Faith is not the absence of doubt, it's persistence through doubt. And so pray, and if you have to tell yourself the sermon, if you have to re-listen to it and go, okay, God, I don't know about everything in my life right now, but I could definitely use some relinquishing. I could definitely use some reorientation. I could re- definitely use some more gray matter. Do it. God made you that way, intentionally. So I want to encourage you to do a couple things. Yeah, come on up. Sit in silence this week, some point. Give it like five minutes. Not in your car. Doesn't count. I know all you commuters. I did my prayer practice on 94. You weren't praying to God on 94. Sit in silence for five minutes. Turn everything off. Your phone has a do not disturb mode. You don't even have to turn off. It's specifically for that purpose. Unless you're an Android user and then get out. But anyway, no, I'm not saying that. Um... Read scripture as prayer. Struggle to sit in silence? Okay, do it for five minutes and give up. Some of you might wind up sitting there for an hour. You're better than me. Read scripture as prayer if you can't make it to the sixth minute. Meditate on God. Literally, just just sit in one place and just think about how big you are and how small you are and how young you are and how old you are. how that compares to the architect of creation. Walk a labyrinth. This is a good one. There's a lot of labyrinths around here that are like free. You don't know how to walk a prayer labyrinth? Talk to me. Get some prayer beads. Okay? They figured it out over there. They figured out prayer when you don't feel like it. It's called the rosary. Works. Light a candle if you need to. Whatever you need to do, just pray. Because it's not about God about you because God made you that way let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you that you made prayer that you opened up a weird line of communication between the holy and the unholy that you opened up a weird line of communication between the temporal through the people who are stuck in time and you who are outside of time. You opened up a weird line of communication through hum- from humanity to divinity. It crosses dimensions. It, it spans space-time. It does all these crazy things, and you did it because we need it. Not because you need it, but because we need it. So, Lord, if Jesus needed prayer, we need prayer. Remind us this week to be people of prayer. 